just said, hey, let me just tell you some stuff. And she told me that I had to sit and listen. As much as I wanted to open my mouth and try to justify what I was doing, it was better for me to sit and listen. I didn't get angry, but I had to really understand that what she was saying was out of a heart of love because she loved me. And I knew that it was from her heart that she wasn't trying to retaliate in any way. And so you accept them because they are important to you. They know you and and you know you can tell them anything they feel your love Any loving relationship is going to have confrontation. You might hear that word and cringe, but it doesn't have to be a negative thing. If you approach a loved one out of anger and frustration over how their decisions are affecting you, you will likely find your words falling on deaf ears. But as Pastor Mark explains in today's message, when you approach that same issue out of love and concern for that person, while they still may not take it well, you are approaching them with a Christ-like love and have a much better chance of making a difference. This kind of confrontation is necessary for growth within the church. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 for today's edition of Come Alive. Nehemiah was angry, not because he was having a bad day or because just things weren't going his way. He was angry because these people were willfully disobeying the law. We talked about what that law was last time we met. It was a righteous anger. We talked about that, how some people are afraid to be angry in the church. Some, there are some pastors who say that you shouldn't be. That goes against the command that Jesus gives, be angry, but do not sin. We are allowed to be angry. So Nehemiah's anger is that allowable anger. It was a righteous anger. He was a little torqued because someone was viciously preying on others. Remember, he was angry because of the way they were treating their God. It's, it's one of those things where you and I, when we see somebody treating our God badly or his word badly, that we should be a little angered. See, he's mad at what sin has produced. Look with me at verse 7 in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, and we'll dig in. It says, After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I called the great assembly against them. So here's what Nehemiah does, and I love the way the King James Version puts this. It says, then I consulted with myself. I consulted with myself, or after some serious thought, he rebukes the elders. He was angry, but he didn't lose control. He paused, and let me say this, when you get angry, if it's a righteous anger or any kind of an anger, it's always good to kind of pause, don't lose control. He paused, he collected himself, he reasoned with himself, he thought things through to a logical conclusion before he did anything. Nehemiah was silent. I really like that. You know, there's power in silence. When I messed up, my dad got silent, and I knew I was in trouble. He would just, I would do something. One time I came home with a, a, a electric blue mohawk, 
And I sat down at the dinner table, and he was talking, and he was coming around the corner, and he didn't see me. And I thought, man, he's going to think I'm really cool. He's going to like that I'm an individual, that I conform to nothing. And I remember my stepmom looked, and she just kind of giggled. And he walked around the corner, and he was talking to her. And he looked over at me, and he finished saying what he needed to say to her. And then he stared right at me and got real quiet. He just stared, and then he looked down like at the top of his brow. And I was like, oh, man, what have I done? He served up some food on a plate, and he said, go eat in the bathroom. And I was like, what? So I thought that would be cool. That would be real punk rock to eat in the bathroom. But there was power in silence. I knew he didn't have to say a whole lot. He didn't yell. He didn't do anything. He just got really quiet, and he just stared at me. It's amazing what that can do. See, I'm sure Nehemiah, he paused and he talked to God about it. That was just his style. He prayed. So in the silence, the crowd saw a very powerful message, and that was this guy thinking about what he was going to do and how he's going to go about it. James tells us, let every man be swift to hear and what? Slow to speak and slow to wrath. Be be quick to hear. This was great leadership from Nehemiah. He was a man passionate enough to get angry, but wise enough not to act until he had considered the matter carefully. Notice it said he rebuked the offenders. What we see next is this loving, compassionate heart of a child of God. Now you might say, well, nobody likes to be rebuked. That is true, but true love rebukes. True love just doesn't say, well, I'm not going to get in their business. If you really love someone, you're not going to allow them to do something that causes harm to themselves or anyone else. So he rebukes the offenders. And and we see that this is a loving, compassionate heart of the child of God. He does this publicly. He does it publicly. And and you talk about accountability. Nehemiah teaches us the the way a leader should approach the problems is head on. We should face them. A lot of us tend to want to run away from them. Um, My go-to is always just leave it alone and take a nap. But when I wake up, the problem's still there. So I might as well just face it head on and be done. And that way I tend to sleep a little better in the nap. Look at the second half of verse seven. It says, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. The word usury is interest that is either too high or should not be charged at all. The Bible says it is wrong to make money off of someone's financial need. If someone needs money for the most basic needs of life, they should be given money, it not be loaned to them at an interest. And we saw when we looked up in Deuteronomy, and you can take a look in Leviticus as well. But of course, loaning money at an interest is permitted by the Hebrews for things that are not absolute necessities. Yet God's people must always use great wisdom and self-control when borrowing money. And that's where we talked about last week, going back and saying, hey, you might want to seek counsel on this. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have to ask anyone. It's my money. And then what happens is you might get in a bind and you come to someone and go, man, you know, just can you, I need help doing this. Maybe you're not asking for a loan from someone else. And I'll always say this, never loan money to a guy to pay off a loan. Because all you're doing is hindering. You're causing bigger problems for that individual. It's better just to say, sorry, man, I'll pray for you. Uh, or you know what? Some, sometimes I have to tell people when, when they tell me they're in financial need, it's like, well, bro, you might want to go ahead and get another job. Well, dude, man, I'll be worn out. Should have thought about that before you took out loans. See, certain loans are fine, home loans and maybe a car loan. But when you start to get too many of those things, when you always have to have the new and you start to get upside down and stuff, 
You better be careful. Be careful. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 tells us here, it says, And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And then I said, what are you doing is not good. What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? So here, thinking about this, when you love someone and they know you love them and they feel secure in your love, you can actually tell them anything you want. You can tell them anything you want. And they'll know it's from your heart and out of love and that you're not retaliating. And so this is one of those things when you truly love someone, a husband and a wife, when they truly sit down and there's no arguing going on and they say something, you can tell them you should be able to say, hey, here's what's going on. My wife had done this to me one time and, and you know, she just said, hey, let me just tell you some stuff. And she told me, and I had to sit and listen. As much as I wanted to open my mouth and try to justify what I was doing, it was better for me to sit and listen. I didn't get angry, but I had to really understand that what she was saying was out of a heart of love because she loved me, and I knew that it was from her heart, that she wasn't trying to retaliate in any way. And so you accept them because they are important to you. They know you, and and you know you can tell them anything. They feel your love. And so he tells them in love and in care. And, and note also what Nehemiah does, that when Judah was conquered, he, he mentions that many Jews were sold as slaves to foreigners, and many of them had been bought out of slavery by other Jews. So he says, we've redeemed them. We've bought them out of slavery. We brought them back. And so because of this, it was very wrong to have Jews being sold into slavery to other Jews because they couldn't pay off the high interest loans. That's what he's saying. He's like, we bought them back. And you're making them pay you back for something. That's not right. So he accuses them of usury and slavery, and they kind of hang their head in silence. Look at verse 9. It says, should you not walk in the fear of our God? He plays the God card, which he should. We should always play that card. This is, see, this is where many business deals or any kind of a deal usually goes wrong before God because there's no regard for God's, well, will or wisdom. A lot of people just want to get into business to make money. And you might think, well, isn't that what you get into business for? No. That's part of it. That's not the whole part. So you get into business so, well, so you can do something, so you can provide a service. And yes, you should be paid. A worker's worthy of his wages, the Bible says. But when we get greedy, See, the only concern here is, is a, if a deal can be made, if money will come from it, not if it's right or wrong. And a lot of times people get into business deals and they don't consider, oh, if it's right or wrong. Will God like this? Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to serve them, this group of people, this? Am I supposed to be in business with this people? You need to see if it's right or wrong. And he accuses them of losing their distinctives. He's saying the Gentiles are looking at you and they're thinking you're just like everyone else. Let me ask you this. When you tell someone you're a Christian, do they see the difference between you and everyone else? Uh, You can have all the plaques and all the signs in your house you want that say, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. But that's just a sign. Is that truly what you do? 
Uh, do you truly serve the Lord with your life? And so he incu- accuses them of losing their distinctives. And so he says, you know, you're, the, the outside world, the enemy, the Gentiles, they think we're just like them. And you shouldn't be. And he's telling them you're acting that way. See, you and I as Christians and, and these guys as well in this book, they, they should be living by different standards, or at least they're supposed to be. See, the enemy could sit back and say, we don't even have to attack. That's what's happening here. There's no threat from the enemy at this point. There's no work going on. So the enemy just sits back and says, dude, check it out. We don't even have to attack. All we got to do is sit back and watch them destroy themselves. Watch them nitpick each other to death. The work has stopped. Nobody's doing anything. Let them at each other. Let them have at it. Do you know who applauds the loudest when there's a division in a church? Unbelievers. The unbelievers applaud the loudest. They say, man, see, told you. The, the, you'll see it all the time. You'll see these guys and they talk about love and love on TV and then all of a sudden they're disputing with one another, they're fighting with one another. They say, you know, Christians preach love all day long, but they just don't know how to do it. And, and that's true. For the most part, we preach love all day long. We just don't know how to do it. See, by our deeds, we either give ammunition to the enemy or we disarm them. You can give ammo to them by what we do or we can disarm them by what we do. What are we doing? But I'll say this, it's up to you. It'll be up to you. See, Nehemiah did not just speak to the law, but he also spoke to these people's values and their principles, their distinctives. What makes them distinct from everyone else? What makes you distinct from everyone else? If you got a foul attitude, if you got a bad mouth, so a direct confrontation. See, what Nehemiah does, and nobody likes this, but he ran to the action. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't mumble under his breath. He didn't walk around grouchy and all anal retentive about the whole thing. He just, he went to it. Look at verse 10. It says, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Whoa. What? Nehemiah is upset, but now we find out here from this. So we see from confrontation to a confession. And I truly love this. Nehemiah just doesn't point the finger, because when you point the finger, there's three pointing back at you. And so he realizes that, well, you know what? I'm just as guilty. That's what he's saying. In verse 10, I'm just as guilty. See, they were guilty of putting their personal prosperity before other people's well-being. Let me say this. You know, the only time in church history in which the church has really been godly and really, really strong have been the times when it goes out and it rubs elbows with the poor and it helps them. Uh, That's the only time. See, revival has always produced fruit among the masses. Uh, Jesus went out to who? He didn't go to the rich. I mean, think about it. How many churches would turn away the rich young ruler? Because the thought with the church when the rich young ruler comes in is like, oh boy, now we got the building fund. And now we can get this because we know he's going to... No, Jesus told that guy, go sell everything, then come hang out with me. Most churches would be like, no, 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 give everything to the church and come hang out with us too, and we'll give you a plaque on the front of your on whatever road you want to sit on all the time, we'll make sure you get that chair. 
He says, go sell everything you have and then come hang out with me. But Jesus went to the common people, the fishermen. They weren't rich. He went to the people that were working and said, come, follow me. And and so it's the only time in history, every time you see a church that's really grown is because that church goes out and rubs elbows with the poor and, and helps them. And again, revival has always produced fruit among the masses. Jesus went to the common people. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And his followers were the fishermen, the lower class of society, the prostitutes. What? Yeah. Jesus, hookers followed Jesus. Tax collectors who were supposedly the sinners of sinners. Not not these guys that had it all together and, and drove cool chariots with personalized license plates on the back. Uh, None of the people that followed Jesus were really seen as pillars of society, but Jesus saw them as pillars of the church. So Nehemiah admits he's doing it as well, and he says it's time to stop. The, The three hardest words for a husband to tell his wife are this, I was wrong. Those are hard. Same thing for a wife. See, nobody likes to be wrong. We, we don't like to admit that we're wrong, but Nehemiah personally confesses after a confrontation to the people. He says, but you know what, guys? I'm guilty as well, and we need to stop. So he's appealed to that which bound them. The Jews together, and, and that is, well, when you think about it, what bound them together? The Jews we're bound together by, and we are bound together by the same God, the very God that binds us together. Look at verse 11. It begins the correction portion of the message. So look at verse 11. It says, Restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and grain and new wine and the oil that you have charged them. And so they said, We will restore it. And will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. And then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house, from his property, who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And then the people did according to this promise. See, Nehemiah wasn't asking the nobles and the rulers to just feel bad or just to stop what they were doing. They had set, you know, they had to set the wrong. They had to, they had to do right. If, if money had to be charged and was charged unfairly or collateral was taken unfairly, it had to be set right. And so if anyone wants to counsel, I'll say this, what Nehemiah does here is great for if you ever decide you want to counsel someone. Any mature Christian knows that there are some things that need to be done when you counsel with someone, when somebody comes for advice, when somebody says, hey, here's the deal. Well, when they're going through a tough time. Well, number one is this. Identify the problem. First, you've got to identify the problem before you can take care of it, right? Verse 10, he calls it what it is. Let us stop the usury. Let us stop ripping the people off. The Bible calls this confession. If you're a note taker, you might want to write these things down. Identify the problem is number one. It's called confession. And to confess means to, well, to confess doesn't mean to just say, I'm sorry, God. Confession means that you agree with God about our sin, that you're in agreement with God about your sin. Confession is not this. This is what some people call confession. God, if I sinned, 
I'm sorry. My other favorite one is, Lord, please forgive my French. French? I'll say this, I don't understand French, and when you drop the F-bomb or the S-bomb or any other bomb, it ain't French. If I can understand it, that's still English. It ain't French. You know, you, you hear people say that all the time. It's like, hey, you, be careful. So you identify the problem specifically. Lord, please forgive me for my dirty sewage ravaged mouth because your word says that what is in my heart, the mouth speaks. So forgive me for having a filthy heart and mind. That's confession. Now, some of you are like, man, but that's... And I've heard people that sit there and they'll come for counsel and they'll say, hey, you know, this is what's going on and we identify the problem. And, and, and I'm like, well, so here's what the Bible says. Do you, do you see what the Bible's saying about this? Yes, the Bible's saying I need to confess my sin. Yeah, I do that. Lord, forgive me for, for doing the wrong thing. No, no, no. Say the word sin. Uh, Lord, forgive me. And I actually sat with a guy that could not say that he was a sinner. He had the hardest time. His pride would not allow him to say he was in the wrong in any way. Just he blew it. He did the wrong thing. And I was like, no, no, no. Say, say your sin. Okay. So he said it. He goes, Lord, forgive me for being a sinner. And I go, now name your sin. What? Yeah, name it, because when, when you hear it, when you really confess it, when you truly hear you speak what you've done wrong, and you don't have to speak it to me, I, I, that, that's not the kind of church we are. But when you say it out loud, or when you say it to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for, and you name that thing, you're just like, oh man, that was hard. It's hard for me to do that in the morning when I sit at a table by myself, and I'm like, Lord, please forgive me for my anger, my rage at and towards Forgive me for saying those mean things too. I hate saying those things. Because in my mind, I want to, I want to do the right thing. In my mind, I, I teach what's the right thing to do, yet I, I sin. We can say we blow it, but I sin. We all sin. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners saved by grace. So, one, it, identify the problem specifically. If you look at verse 11, that's what they do. Restore now to them. And then he says, restore. Plan to correct it immediately is what they're doing next. Restore now even this day, he says. Do it now. You know, that's number two. Plan to correct it immediately. Number one is identify the problem. So even the word, when you think about it in Hebrew, the word now means now. (laughs) Pretty good, huh? The word now in Hebrew actually means now, this moment. It's an immediate thing. Identify the problem, correct it immediately, and when God reveals the sin, there should be no compromise with the flesh. Thanks for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been sharing insights and promises found in the book of Nehemiah, reminding you again of God's faithfulness and blessings that are still available to you today. We hope you'll continue to read through Nehemiah and see for yourself how God can touch your life. Is what you heard today about God new to you? Or are you questioning what being a follower of Jesus is all about? If so, today's a great day to begin a relationship that will bless your life and save you from your sins. We'd love to tell you more, so please get in contact with us. Here's Tracy to tell you how. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. 
That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We're so excited to know that you're joining our family of faith. We'd love to meet you in person, too. So if you're in the Houston area, come visit us at Calvary Chapel Katy. We'll be able to tell you more and get you directions when you call us. That number again is 281-391-5503. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.